foot to how incredible you are, other than indescribable and uncomparable, unchangeable. Lord, you are all of those things. Um, and I think the, the best way that I can say that is that you are bigger and greater than anything that I could ever be or ever imagine. Um, and thank you for providing the comfort knowing that there is things out there that are so much bigger and larger than me um, and all of this, the things that I do in my life. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you can have a seat. My name is Evan. I'm the lead pastor here, and I am just thrilled that you chose to join us this morning for worship. I just have a few announcements for you this morning. The first one is a reminder to you ladies that the women's retreat is coming up just next weekend. And so Generation Celebration next weekend at Cedar Canyon. Lena has some forms for you who are signed up. Some of you still have yet to fill it out. So connect with Lena, and she has the forms, and she needs your information on that. Um, the next slide that we're going to have is going to be about the Kaufman's Meal Train. Um, as you, many of you know, Shelsta and Tyler Kaufman just had a baby two weeks ago. And so we have a meal train set up where we can jump on there and provide them with some meals. There are a lot of slots um, still available. Um, they pretty much have just every other day because they told us that, well, if we signed up for every single day, we'd never get a chance to eat the leftovers. And so every other day they have some slots that you can sign up on the meal train. And I think if we flick through a little bit, we have a slide there that has the link. The link is pretty short if you just copy and paste it into your browser or if you were to just enter in K5M2EV, it will take you there. And you can sign up, so sign up and bless our family with that. The next is the upcoming event, Ignite, that we are hosting in this place. And that is a retreat for pastors and missionaries and their families from around the Rocky Mountain District. And so it's going to be here in this building. We'll have about 150 people in here plus, give or take, about 20 kids. And so we have some clipboards that will be slung around this room at some point that you can sign up to help set up snacks. We're going to have snacks provided for all the people that are here for the event, but then we need some help setting up that, just making coffee, laying out enough food and snacks for 150 people. And so if you're willing to sign up, the times are tough because there, is our, there are morning sessions and evening sessions, but if you could just make one and help out, and if you could stop fumbling that pen, then you'd be okay. But if you could help out, then that would be great. The bonus, if you help out with snacks, you are welcome to stay for the event. The event is going to be basically like a church service. And so we have a band coming from a church in Montana leading us in worship. And there's a speaker coming from Minneapolis who is coming to speak. He's the older brother of our district superintendent here. So should be good. He's my boss's brother, I guess. So I have to say he's good. And so it would be a great time if you sign up for snacks. We also need help with child care. This one's a little tricky because many of you might be a little intimidated by children between the ages of zero and four. I know I am myself. But if you sign up to help with child care, you do get a free background check, and you also would get paid between $10 to $12 an hour for your time. And so if you're looking to make a little extra cash and watch zero to four-year-olds, for a few hours, please sign up on there and help us out with that. We won't have that many of them. There will be somewhere between, between 10 and 20. Not a really solid number, but who knows? It could be really easy for you. So help out and sign up with that. Uh, I think the final announcement that we have on the end here 
is that, as many of you know, we've been having prayer nights, Wednesday nights in this place. And so Wednesday nights from 6 to 6.30, we gather together as a church to pray. And so that's still taking place in the basement, Wednesday nights at 6 to 6.30. It's going to run for two more weeks. And then we're going to transition on, I believe it is September 1st, to a Wednesday night Bible study. And that will take place in Darg Hall at 7 p.m. We are going to go through the book of John. I just realized over this last few months, as we're doing multiple different teaching series out of the book of John, I just taught at Camp Halawasa on the miracles out of John, and then our next series is going to be on the I Am statements, and I was just realizing, first off, how much I love the Gospel of John. It's a lot of fun. And then I realized that so many people have a lot of questions, and there are a lot of maybe language or a lot of lessons in John that aren't really just sitting on the surface easy to grab. And so I would love to go through the book of John. We're going to take our time, go through verse by verse, Wednesday nights at 7, and uh, really get to know the book of John. So if you would love to get an in-depth study in this book, join us Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock in Dark Hall right across the way. We will be going through it. My hope is that we finish the book of John in a year, but we'll see because I'm already deciding that the first chapter might take us four weeks. So we'll see. (laughs) But come for that. And with that... That's all the announcements I have for you, so I'm going to invite you back up to your feet and greet one another.
real and tangible moments of you that are just incredible and amazing and, uh, and impossible so that we can turn them back to you and give you praise. Oh, oh, oh. 
thankful prayers because it's really hard to stay happy and positive um, when there's so much struggle and hurt uh, that I feel and that the world has. Um, so I just pray that as Joey comes up and preaches that we allow ourselves to sit in the feeling of just sad and hurt and broken because that's the way that the world is. That's the way that we've made it, is broken and sinful. Um, and that we don't turn, and that I don't turn to seek uh, just being happy and feeling joy, but that I turn to seek you through the pain and the suffering and the hardships. Thank you, Lord. to share with one another and uh, to lay our burdens down. Uh, if you come in here on Sunday carrying something from last week or something in life or maybe you're worried about what you're walking into this week, um, man, the best thing you can do is leave that here and leave that in the Lord's hands, best place that it can be. So I want to encourage you to do that, to take that opportunity uh, to lift those things up, to share that with us, and, uh, and then we can pray with you and for you uh, together here during this time. So, hey, welcome back. I see some of our School of Minds people here. So that is definitely something to be praying for, right? Start of another, another year uh, going into that. Uh, Thursday, I will be um, starting teaching again at Rapid City Christian. And uh, not just teaching, but also being the chaplain. And uh, we have two chapels every week now instead of just one chapel. So I'm a little stressed. Uh, that's something I need to just set down here so that I can go in and just freely do what God wants me to do. So there's some things that we can be praying for. Anything else that um, you would like for us to know or to pray about or to just, like I said, leave here. So, okay, Evan's going around with the mic. searching for a job, and so I figured when I'm back here for a wedding, I'd update everyone. I uh, just recently started the job as a test technician in Winona, so I will be continuing to live at home and work there for a while. Uh, so prayers for that continuing to go well. Uh, but probably the tougher part is that because I know now that I will be living at home, I'm probably going to be transitioning away from watching Common Ground's live streams and uh, working on feeling more at home at the church that I grew up in again. Uh, so trying to get more involved in there, and that's going to be a process. It's a lot different than Common Ground is. It's a 
lot bigger, probably about eight times as large. So it's a big change from the small and fantastic community here. So uh, thank you for all of the support and encouragement and prayer over the past five years. I've really appreciated it a lot. Absolutely, thank you, Ben. And uh, you know, that's one of the things we hope for because we're, we, you know, we're kind of a transient uh, body here, especially with School of Mind students coming and going after a few years. And our hope really is that you do find a good, solid church home wherever you go, that you're part of that and, and plugging into that. We're so grateful for how you plug in while you're here. Uh, but we also want to know that we're sending you to continue to go to work. And because of our live stream being recorded, you always know where to find us now. So stay in touch. All right, anything else? Yes, Mary. Um, my parents and I would appreciate prayer this week. We have um, kind of the culmination of a trial that's been going on um, for a while with my little brother. So just prayers for that on Tuesday and Wednesday as those are the dates that will be in court. Um, and that's kind of a big thing. Um, on a more personal note, my husband got a call last night that his best friend was killed. And I know a lot of you don't know Lucas because he doesn't attend church with me, but I would just ask that you be praying for him. Um, this man was the best man at our wedding. Lucas is roommate all through college and just someone who's been a steady part of our lives for the last 15 years. So it's a big piece of news that we got late last night. Um, and He's really struggling, so I just appreciate your prayers for Lucas. Um, and also for kids as we figure out how to tell them. Um, yeah, and we grieve with Lucas. And, uh, you know, he's, he's your husband, he's our brother. Uh, so my heart hurts uh, along with that, with that incredible loss. So thank you for sharing that, Mary. All right, uh, is there anything else? So I'm just, um, I wanted to share that I'm very thankful because there's a, a woman that um, comes to the Hope Center and she's been, um, she's been opening her, her heart to Jesus. She was a Wiccan before and so she's attending daily devotions um, with everyone and just has been, it's been just a little saying that she's, Listening, she prayed the other day to God. She said it would sound like a sputtering truck, but he would know what she meant. Um, so I'm just thankful for that. Okay, that's awesome. Thank you, Karen. I just acquired a new niece who has um, been diagnosed with MS. She's really young and um, she's struggling with it. So we just like to put some prayers out for her to help her heart and her head. Definitely. Okay. All right. uh, so a couple of things. First off, uh, just prayers for my Uncle Andrew. Um, he's currently in the hospital. Um, when I looked for pneumonia, they thought it was getting better. Um, it's now not. He's refusing to eat. And they think that might be because of 
constipation, so there's trying some stuff there, but he's already got some severe health issues, um, epilepsy, and among many other things. So they said that this might be the end of there, so just prayers for him and the rest of my family um, on that. And the other thing is, I'm currently looking at other job opportunities, um, so if you could just pray for me there, something that'll keep me home more consistently. Um, so just prayers on that end. Okay, absolutely. Alright, I think that will be good. So let's take a moment to uh, come ground and spring together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your goodness. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for not um, giving up on us. When we gave up on you, thank you for calling our hearts back to you. Thank you for pursuing us and uh, in some cases just helping us until we realized how deeply and immensely you loved us. And we pray, God, that, um, that, that you will continue that work and that you do that work through us, that, that your amazing, flawless love would somehow be communicated uh, through us to others that they too might know. Uh, this great and awesome God that we worship here today. Lord, thank you for bringing our School of Mind students back to us. I know we're going to see more in the, the next few weeks as they settle in and get adjusted to a new schedule of, well, life and or maybe getting back to the old schedule. Um, and Lord, just be with them and we pray for your grace to just wash over that entire campus and that you, especially with our students that attend here, that you would strengthen them and uphold them and just give them a, an amazing year uh, over, at, uh, over at the School of Mines. So meet their needs and meet them where they're at, God, and uh, just bless them and cause, their, uh, cause them to increase with their friendships, uh, with their influence towards others, and maybe even reaching out to others in the name of Christ. Uh, Lord, thank you for Ben. Thank you for uh, allowing us to have him here for the years that, that he's given. And uh, as he uh, has a new job, we thank you for that, and we praise you for that. We also pray, God, that you would help him to transition to be uh, part of his home church there, and that, uh, God, he would be just a, as much of a blessing there, if not more, than, than he was here to us at Common Ground. So thank you so much for the work that you do in our students here and as you carry them on through life. Uh, Lord, it's good to know that when they leave us, um, that, that we can leave them in your hands and know that they're in the best hands that they can be. Uh, Lord, thank you for the work that Kira does at the Hope Center, and thank you that uh, she's able to share this amazing news of a, of a woman who's just not really known who you are, but now her heart is opening up to you, and she's taking those steps. And they really are baby steps that we all have to take in our faith. We just pray, God, that, um, that you would uh, hold her up and help her to learn how to walk and to trust you uh, in all things. Lord, we pray for Ted's new niece, and uh, that's tough to hear of a child dealing with a thing like MS, but God, we know that you are greater and bigger than that thing, so we ask that you would manifest your, uh, your power, your grace, and your goodness, and your love for this child in, in a very amazing way. Lord, we lift up Logan's uncle, uh, Andrew, to you, and as the, uh, the prognosis seems to be uh, somewhat dire, um, God, we just pray for your presence there. Uh, we do pray for healing. We know that you can do things that 
um, that are beyond what we can think or imagine. But we also pray, God, just for your presence to be manifest in a very powerful way uh, to, uh, to Uncle Andrew and, and to Logan and to the rest of the family. And Lord, uh, we just pray you'll bless Logan's uh, efforts as he's uh, seeking uh, some different employment. Thank you for the job that you have given him. But we pray that you will enable him to have a, a, a work day which will allow him to be at home, especially with this new child, and uh, to be able to invest his time there in the things that really matter. So bless him and give him opportunities, Lord. Just open up any doors and lead him into the place that you have already appointed for him. And, uh, and Lord, we, we pray for Mary uh, right now because she's got a lot on her plate, a lot on her heart. Uh, we, we have this trial coming up involving her brother, and I know the heartache that that, that that has been. And so we just, again, God, ask for your grace to cover that whole situation. And uh, Lord, the, 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 the devastating news of hearing of Lucas's uh, best friend's passing. God, these are things that just kind of knock us off our feet. And, uh, and, and, and we don't know what to do. But we look up to you and we pray, God, that uh, where there is grief, where there is uh, mourning, where there is just an ache in the heart, that, God, you will do what you do best and not step into that. And that your love and your grace and your mercy would wash over that whole situation. So, God, we pray that you draw near to Lucas and to Mary and their surrounding friends and family who are grieving right now. God, that you would just wrap them up in your arms and draw them close to you and uh, give comfort uh, where they need it so badly. And also wisdom for Mary and Lucas as they break this news to their, their girls. Um, help them to be able to speak to this and in a way, God, that uh, points to you and helps them to trust in you and lean in you during a very sad time that they're going to have to walk through. God, thank you that you're there for us. Thank you that you never fail us. Thank you that, um, that, that your faithfulness, your righteousness is the same every single day and that we can count on you. And Lord, we do that now. Uh, with all the prayer requests that have been shared, I'm sure there's others that maybe haven't been shared. There's things on all of our hearts today. And we just pray, God, that you would um, show yourself mighty to us. Uh, show how amazing your mercy is in the midst of all these things. And then lastly, Lord, um, thank you for Joey. Thank you for his heart to serve, uh, his willingness to step in in any way that he can. And Lord, as he steps up here to uh, proclaim your word to us, um, I pray that you'll calm his nerves so that he... Uh, Trust fully and completely on your Holy Spirit to enable him to bring forth the message that you've prepared in his heart. So bless Joey and bless us through him as he shares your word. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. To you belongs all power, honor, and glory forever. Hello, everyone. My name is Joey, as Nick just introduced me. I am a student at South Dakota School of Mines, and I've been a member at Common Ground pretty much my entire time here. Um, preaching is a big deal. It is normally, and given the state of the room and the content that I'm about to preach, it's even a bigger deal. So, um, yeah, just be prepared. talked about how the psalm generally are a sort of guide for life, how 150 expressions of human emotion have been given to us by God for praying to him, for singing to him, all these various things. And there's a whole range of emotions that we can experience. In this psalm that I'm about to go through, Psalm 88 talks about when we are walking with God in complete darkness. It is literally and metaphorically the darkest psalm in the entire book. And it captivated me for that reason because if you look at the rest of the psalms, even if they're lament, there is some sort of turning point in them where the psalmist somehow trusts, hopes, and rejoices in God. It is not so with this psalm. The last line says, you have caused my companions and my beloved to shun me. My companions have become darkness. It's a tough song. But as Christians, I think this is a very valuable thing that God put this prayer in Scripture to teach us how to suffer. Because as Christians, we will. We've heard already so many instances of us suffering. We will suffer, and we ought to be prepared for our suffering. So even though this psalm ends in darkness, I think, and my main point today, is that it teaches us that trusting God and crying out to Him is our only hope in suffering. And trusting God and crying out to Him is our only hope in suffering. So with all that said, let's actually read Psalm 88. <clears throat> psalm 88, a psalm, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master. According to Mahalat Leonot, a mascal of Heman the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. 
I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in a battle? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's pray. Lord God, what we just read hurts. It punches, it stings. For this type of darkness is unfortunately very common in our broken world. There are certainly some who feel this way right now. In this darkness, though, we rejoice, for Jesus is the light of the world, and if we believe in him, we will not walk in darkness. We thank you for this. We thank you that you know our darkness and are with us in it. We thank you for Psalm 88. We thank you that you inspired and deemed this prayer fit for your word. That alone says so much about your love for us. Help us now to be penetrated by your word. In my weakness, Lord, speak through me. Let every thought turn to words proceed from faith, your word, and your spirit. Be glorified now, Lord, even in the midst of our darkest suffering. Amen. So yeah, if that didn't set the tone. <laughs> Jumping into the text a little bit, we're just going to talk about some of the context of the psalm, because I think that's really valuable to know before we start digging into the words that the psalm actually say. And I think we get a lot of the context from the title. It begins by saying a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Uh, the sons of Korah, they wrote 11 of the psalms that we know of in scripture, uh, including Psalm 42, which Matt actually went through a few weeks ago. However, Psalm 42 and Psalm 88 are the exceptions because mostly the sons of Korah write very joyful psalms. It's hard to believe that this is actually a song considering how dark it is. But for that reason, I think it is beautiful and masterful, and very relatable, certainly. As Charles Spurgeon put it, it is more difficult to express sorrow fitly than it is to pour forth notes of gladness. Next, the title says, to the choir master, according to Mahalat Leonot. Now, you may be wondering, as I was when I first read this, what the heck is Mahalat Leonot? Uh, essentially, it's a standard tune to convey a song of sorrow. Much like how the alphabet song is sung to the tune of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, Mahalat Leonot is a standard tune for a very sad song. 
If you break it down, most, most scholars agree that mablat is the guitar or instrument, and leonot is on the sickness of affliction, a lesson. Next, we get a little bit of information about our author. A mascal of Heman the Ezraite. It's hard to say which Heman this actually is. However, my best guess is that he is the Heman who was put in charge of the service of Saul under King David's reign. 1 Kings 4 compares Heman to Solomon in terms of the wisdom that he has. In 1 Chronicles 16, David expressly named Heman to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Heman's a wise and talented musician, and normally he praises the Lord with gladness. Clearly, that is not the case today. One other feature about this psalm, which I don't think we've actually gone through any psalms with Selah in them yet, but Selah is essentially a word that means pause, silence, reflection. It essentially is instructing the reader to really chew on and reflect on what the words he just read or prayed, he or she read or prayed. So that being said, let's actually jump into what Heman writes, what he prays. He starts by saying in verse 1 through 2, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you and incline your ear to my cry. I think it is crucial to note that right away, Heman is trusting God as the God of his salvation. He's praying this to him. He says, Lord, I know the one, I know that you're the one. Who has saved me. Everything else that follows is coming from that. He cries out day and night. He is persistent in his prayer. He so desperately wants God to hear him. He says, Lord, every day I'm calling to you. Every day. Let my prayer come before you. Hear it. Here it is. Take it. It's before you. Incline your ear to my cry. He wants God to hear him so desperately. He's persistently calling to his Savior. There is no end to his cry. And I think this re repetition just reinforces how desperate he is. And already, right off the bat, I think we can learn something very valuable. In his prayer, he starts as he ought, by appealing to God to hear him. In the same way, when we're suffering, we should cry out to God. How often do we pray, or right away, without saying anything, we're just like, God, tell us this, give us this, do this for me. I'll be clear that it's not bad to ask God for help. Psalm 121 says that, from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. However, if we're just asking God to give us, without actually acknowledging that we're in a relationship with him, that we're conversing with him, we're telling him our burdens and we want him to hear us, we're not trusting in him, we're using him. We're trying to get something from him. Because normally when we ask someone to listen, we're showing them that we actually love them and trust them, enough to confide in them. And trust me that God hears when you cry to him. When you ask him to hear, he will hear. 1 John 5, 14 says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In Hebrews 11, God rewards those who seek him faith. It doesn't matter how desperate or lost we are, God still hears us. We often confide in our spouses, our friends, our most trusted uh, family members, as we ought. Those are good people to confide in, but we're all still sinful. 
How much more then should we confide in our infinitely loving, sinless, unbeatably compassionate God? And that's where human starts. However, as we know, it's not going to get better. Because then, verses 3 through 7, we see very clearly that he feels dark and dead. He goes on what I would call the spiral of death. He starts out by saying, God, why am I crying out to you? For my soul is full of troubles. He is afflicted. That is the source of his cry. He wants to cry to God because he is full of troubles. And as weird as this may seem, this is sort of like his starting point. This is his standard for calling out to God. It gets worse. But be encouraged also that this is left intentionally generic. So that no matter what type of suffering we are going through, we can pray this and God will hear it all the same. But anyway, moving on, he says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. His life draws near to death, essentially, is what that means. In Hebrew cosmology, Sheol is the place of the dead. So his life is getting closer and closer to the place of the dead. That's how he feels. And then in verse 4, he steps it up. He says, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. Not just that he's drawn closer to death, he's already basically associated as one who is dead. He's counted as if he is dead. He has no strength, no ability, no activity or movement whatsoever. He says, I am like one set loose among the dead. I think this is really where we can see his condition escalate. Because it's not just that he feels dead, he feels as if God is not with him. As if there is no sovereign hand to protect him. He's not just feeling dead, but it's almost like God just let go of him. Set loose. Even more so, he says, like the slain that lie in the grave. Not just dead, but he feels killed as if he's been murdered. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hands. He feels as if God doesn't remember him. If you're familiar with the covenants that God makes with his people, the terminology, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, David, so on, is often used. The psalmist feels as if there's no covenant between him and God. He is not remembered by God in this way. Not only that, just reinforcing his cutoff, he is no longer under God's protection and guidance. That's how he feels. And then he steps it up again. <laughs> For you have put me in the depths of the pit, in regions dark and deep. Not only does God not remember him, he feels as if God is actively afflicting him. That he's the one doing this to him. It feels that way for him. And he's deep in it. He's in the depths. There's a long way to go if he's to be out. He's not just in the mud, he's in the well. And then, finally, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. Now understand that when he says that God's wrath lies heavy upon him, in his mind, this is the worst possible consequence imaginable. This is what Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
sweated blood in the face of. Jesus truly faced God's wrath. The prophet Jeremiah refers to God's wrath as a cup of wine. In chapter 25 uh, of Jeremiah, verse 15, he says, Take from my hand this cup, or this is God speaking to Jeremiah, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. This is what Jesus is referencing when he says, Lord, take this cup from me. He's facing God's wrath, and he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. But of course, Jesus, in his sinless Savior nature, he says, Nevertheless, not my will, but your be done. But he was still in agony at the thought of facing God's wrath. And that's how this psalmist feels. And then there's the Selah. <laughs> so, he wants you to chew on how dead he feels. He certainly wins the, the prize for the most ways to say that he feels dead inside. <laughs> so what can we learn from this? Well, going back to Jesus in the garden, Luke's account of that says that as Jesus was in agony, he prayed more earnestly. In the same way, as, as our suffering gets worse, we should pray more earnestly. Though the psalmist doesn't necessarily have everything right, God's wrath isn't actually upon him. God is the one who saves him. His wrath is not on him. He still prays so earnestly to God. And a special message to the young, including myself, this, we need to be practicing this now, praying earnestly to God now, because we won't be able to as easily when we are in the depths of suffering. The wisdom of Ecclesiastes says this, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Because the reality is for us young people, in all likelihood, most of our suffering is ahead of us. We have not experienced, <laughs> we have not experienced the majority of the suffering that we will encounter while we are on this life. And it is a very wise thing to be practicing this now, practicing praying to God now. How to walk with God in this darkness. Another question this begs is, who put us in the pit? As we talked about, the psalmist actively, or accuses God of actively putting him in this suffering. We should ask ourselves, did we put ourselves in here, or is God actually doing this? Are we suffering the consequences of our own sin, or are we just going through a trial? And how do we know? Well, I am pleased to tell you that how you find out the answer to that question is the same as the main point. Cry out to God. Ask Him to reveal these things to you. He's your only hope. If you're wondering whether or not you've sinned, a very good prayer to pray is found in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 where the psalmist says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And if God put us here, well, let's turn, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1. It'll also be up on the screen. This is one of the 
best passages on our reason for undergoing suffering, in my opinion. Where, starting in verse 6, Peter says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Just in verse 8 again. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. The reason we often undergo trials is so that our faith may be refined, so that God will make us trust him more, so that we're not depending on our own ways, but his. And that is a beautiful thing. And we can rejoice that our suffering will lead to a glorious end in Christ. He's bought our salvation, and now we just are waiting for the time when he'll come back and he'll make all things. So moving on to Psalm 88 again, verses 8 through 12, the psalmist questions God. Starting off, he says, you have, my, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. So what's worse than feeling dead? Well, feeling dead alone, as if there's no one with you in them. No one wants anything to do with him, and he even feels that God wants nothing to do with him. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. If he hasn't already made it clear, he feels as if there is no way out. He has lost all hope that he will escape his suffering. It's as if God is keeping him here intentionally. And then when he says, my eye grows dim through sorrow, remember what Jesus said, that the eye is the lamp of the body. It's as if his lamp is burning out because of his sorrow. Like when you have a candle, and you want to put it out, what do you do? Plop the cap right on it. Choke it out. And then you very quickly see how that flame just turns into a puff of smoke. That's how the psalmist feels. He feels like he's being suffocated. His eye is growing dim. But what does he say? What does he say next? Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. He, <laughs> just a couple of verses ago, actively or accused God of afflicting him intentionally. But who does he cry to? He cries to God. Understand, this isn't some sort of Stockholm Syndrome, which if you don't know what that is, essentially that's when someone has developed positive feelings toward their abuser or captor. That's not what this is. This is something innate inside the psalmist that's saying God is his only hope. And he knows that deep down, even if he doesn't feel it. It's as if when Peter answers Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's no one else that we can go to but God in our suffering. And then the psalmist really challenges God here. He says, do you work wonders for the dead? 
I'm very clearly dead, as I established. I don't feel you'll work any wonders for me. Do the departed rise up to praise you? Again, I'm dead. I don't feel this. I'm not praising you. Even though I'm crying to you, I'm not praising you, that's for sure. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Briefly, Abaddon is similarly a pagan place of the dead. It's a Canaanite view, or Canaanite place of the dead, similar to how Hades in Greek mythology is referred to as the underworld. But when he says, is your steadfast love declared here? Is your faithfulness here? He is directly challenging two of God's most important self-proclaimed attributes. In Exodus 34, God reveals himself to Moses saying, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's essentially saying, God, your love, your faithfulness, I don't feel it. Even though you say you have it, I don't feel it. Your wonders are not in the darkness. Your righteousness is not here in the land of forgetfulness. Though he asks us questions, I think it's very clear that he's asking them rhetorically, and he expects the answer to be no. This kind of makes us uncomfortable a little bit, because as Christians, we would expect the answer to be, to be yes. Did the departed rise up to praise you? Yes, because resurrection. Jesus, our Savior, rose from the dead. But that's not how the psalm speaks. Where he's at in life, he doesn't feel as if the departed rise up to praise him, to praise God. He's saying God isn't hearing him and won't. And it's at this point where I cannot help but think about the book of Job. A 3,000-foot overview of the book of Job. Basically, Job is a righteous man. He was blessed abundantly. But then God allows Satan to afflict him. Takes away his blessings, his land, his property, his children. His wife turns against him. And then his body is afflicted. But in all this, it says that Job did not sin with his lips. Yet when his three friends come to comfort him, they do a very bad job. So much so that Job is so angry, he's so indignant, that he wants to take God to court. Actually, he's like, I've been righteous. God, why is this happening to me? Let me take you to court. For he says in Job 31, verses 35 and 30 through 37, Oh, that I had want to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it on me as a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. He was righteous in his own eyes. Before this, he was rebuked. He repented. But then in the end, what does God say about what Job did when he cried out to him? God says to his three friends, Job's three friends, My anger burns hot against you. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, and I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. God says that Job 
did right by God. And that his prayer was the, the means of intercession that he would use to save his three friends. This is evidence that God, even in our darkest points, in our worst accusations against him, he still forgives us and he still hears us. So what can we learn from this? Well, we ought to be honest about the condition of our hearts before God. Just being real, if we're angry and upset at God, there's not any hiding that from God. He already knows us. He already knows that. The least we can do is be transparent about it. And what a forgiving God we have. Have faith in his forgiveness. He loves forgiving his children. So ask yourselves, what are you doing when our hearts are angry, when our hearts are suffering? Are we penting up? Are we keeping it to ourselves? Are we lashing out at those we love? We should pray our anger to God. Now at this point, you might expect that the psalm would turn to a heavy note. But it doesn't. He says he still feels worse at the end. In finishing out the psalm, he says, But I, O Lord, cry to you. This is where we really expect to turn, right? He says, Oh, Lord, I'm trusting you. But then that faint pulse of hope dies in the death of a thousand unanswered prayers. His prayer comes before God in the morning, but in the evening it returns to him void. He says, Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? He has no more energy to be mad. He is now just depressingly and abysmally sad. He just wants God, but he isn't getting him. He says in verse 15 that I am helpless. There's no effort that he can exert to save himself. It seems as if the only way he does know how, crying to God, is not working either. It seems as if God has doomed him to suffer. His dreadful, or excuse me, your wrath has swept over me, your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The battered psalmist resigns to his fate. He feels as if God's wrath has overtaken him. His assaults end him. He drowns. There's no more chance to cry for help. That's how he feels. He feels alone, and his only friend is the darkness with which he is now so well acquainted. And the brutal reality of this is that sometimes in our lives, the suffering won't end. It wouldn't be right to say that the suffering won't end ever, but in this life, there is no guarantee that our suffering won't end. And as long as this broken world spins, this could happen. So what ought we to do in response to this? Well, I think a very wise thing is to readjust our expectations. Christianity is hard. Anyone who tells you it's easy is trying to sell you something. And look at our Savior. He had a horrible life. He was wrongly beaten, mocked, scorned, and crucified. And Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. We will suffer in this life. And the worst thing that we can do is to expect a happy-go-lucky life 
after being saved. For if we don't expect our suffering, we will quickly be smacked upside the head with a cosmic two by four. Now, that is the end of the psalm. That's the end of the psalm. And if I left it there, I don't think I would be, the, I would be very faithful to giving hope to you all. We already see, I think, that the psalmist cries out to God, even in his darkness. And we should learn that lesson, certainly. But it is crucial to note that no matter how the psalmist feels about God not hearing him, God has put him in darkness, we know that he was heard. We're reading this today. We're praying this today. This prayer's presence in the Bible stands as evidence against the psalmist feeling as if God has abandoned him. Because you see, at the end, in the end of the things, the psalmist has a small point of view. To him, the end was darkness. But do you think the psalmist was thinking about how many people this prayer has helped throughout the thousands of years that it has existed? God has used it for a wonderful purpose. And his purposes are often too wonderful for us, and we won't understand them. We won't know why we suffer often, but he has a great purpose for us. He understands us in our weakness, and why else would this be here? He's not looking at this prayer saying, I don't want this in my Bible. He's saying, no, I want this exactly in my Bible. Going back to Job. During Job's repentance, prayer of repentance, he says that I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job didn't understand God's purposes, and neither will we, but this is the best thing for us. Because later in that prayer, Job then said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. God uses our suffering to draw us to himself. Job saw God in a more beautiful, intimate, fantastic way than he ever could have if he had not suffered. And Jesus gave us this gift. He gave us this gift of praying to God in our lowest lows. For while the psalmist felt as if he was in darkness and death, Jesus truly face darkness and death. But with his rising, we have light and life. He says very clearly, I am the light of the world, and those who believe in me will not walk in darkness. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me, though they die, yet shall they live. Jesus is the answer to our darkness. He died for that. He died for us to pray these things to him. Therefore, trust God. There is an end in sight. Cling to the truths of Christ rising more desperately than your tired soul wants to cling to despair. Even now, he sustains you, no matter how much it feels like he isn't.
And right now, if you're in this room and you aren't his, if you don't belong to Christ, cry out to him. He calls out to you ready to be the light that ends your darkness. And if you don't, your end will be darkness. That is a very unfortunate reality, but it is a reality. But he is waiting to be your light in your life. Cry out to him. He will hear you, and he will bring you out of your suffering in his time. We can look to the Israelites when they were in Babylon. They were in exile. They were promised that they would be brought back. And we know with history that they were. The very famous passage, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. That promise was fulfilled to Israel. We have an even better promise in Christ. For in Revelation chapter 21, we are told that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, from your eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Cry out to God, and he will make you new. Let's pray together. Lord, our reality is that this life is dark. We cannot know why we are in this darkness, but Lord, we trust you in it. Let us be comforted by the truth of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, which is declared in the grave. We can rejoice that this psalmist was wrong. We can rejoice that though he felt so lonely, like he wasn't hurt, you hurt him. You're hearing our, us pray right now. And just pray in good faith that you would answer our prayers. We are weak. We are needy. We need you. And we love you. Draw us closer to you, Lord. And may our hearts be refined such that you are magnified. And that we see the truths of your beauty more wonderfully than we have ever had before. In Jesus' name we pray.
in four minute weather on this plan, so we're gonna see how this goes. Everyone can take a seat real quick. Now we're gonna try something a little different. If I could ask for the help of Evan and Nick real quick, if you guys wanna come up to the front. Um, I just wanted to leave some space for uh, prayer for a time of just sitting and reflecting. Say lot on what we just went over, because um, it's some heavy stuff. inappropriate to just kind of get up and leave after something like that. So, um, if you guys need prayer and you want to come talk to these guys up here, they are here. If you want to sit by yourself, you can. If you want to grab some friends around you, by all means. Um, but, you know, just want to pray about those kind of dark, deep times that we've been in. Whether you're in something right now or you know people that are sitting in that darkness and that feeling of just dead dread. Um, you know, Christ gave us that gift of prayer, like Joey was saying. That's one of the most amazing and beautiful things that he's given us is the ability to communicate with our God. So I'll we'll keep playing up here for a little bit and I'll close out with a little bit more of it as well with myself. That's a good one. But yeah, go ahead and
again with the words of hope. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Then I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Go in peace, everyone, this week. Remember that God is always there to hear you. Have a wonderful week.